Well, today we're going to address uh, probably um, the most controversial issue in American culture at this time. The decision by the Supreme Court to uh, strike down uh, state legislatures who would define marriage between one man and one woman. If you've been paying attention, there's been a small amount of news about that. Have you guys noticed that at all? Um, it's absolutely sin. I mean, wherever you fall on that spectrum, there have been emotionally charged uh, articles and interviews and if you can believe it, Facebook posts. I mean, just this big war. So here's here's what we're going to do um, today. Um, at Rocky Mount Baptist Church, we, we, we believe that the Bible is the Word of God. And we believe that the Bible is just not something that God gave a couple thousand years ago, several thousand years ago for people in that time. But God revealed who He was who he is and his plan for humanity. So we still believe that the Bible applies to today in regards to biblical sexuality. And let me say a couple of things before we jump in here. Um, I don't know if you've ever had a Baptist preacher say, don't say amen. All right. Um, but here, here's just as honestly as we can get the case. And the fact of the matter is that we live in a culture um, to where many people that we're finding out in, in evangelical churches have struggled um, with same-sex attraction. There's that issue. There's also the issue that there very well could be people here this morning or listening on the radio or the podcast um, that don't agree at all with, with the traditional biblical picture of sexuality. So here's, here's what we want to do today. Um, as best as the Lord gives me strength, I'm going to communicate what His Word says. And um, if you're an amener or if you're here and, and you just don't agree with anything that we're saying, we just ask, I would ask this. Stick with us for this week and next week. Here's what we're going to do today. Today we're going to look at what does the Bible actually teach about biblical sexuality. And at the end of this message, we're going to look at the response that we as believers should have, should have had years ago. And that we should still have today. Next week we're going to address questions like a lot of concerned parents. How am I supposed to address this with my children? Um, because regardless of what you or I would want to happen one way or the other, um, it is coming, especially in the public education system, to where there is a concentrated effort to normalize same-sex marriage and same-sex relationships. And for many Christians who agree with the biblical picture of sexuality, even if you, I mean, even if you homeschool your kids, let them out one time a day, say so go check the mail, and they've got a pillow around their torso and a football helmet, you're that level of protectiveness. I mean, no matter what your take is, whether your child is in public education, homeschool, private school, private tutor. These are issues that are already being realized by little children. And so next week we're going to look at that. How do, how do we address that in a family context? We're also going to look at the legal challenges that are already popping up. It was less than 48 hours after the decision that Mark Oppenheimer, writing for Time magazine, um, already questioned um, 
why churches and we could say religious or Christian schools all the way from grade schools all the way to Liberty University should have what's called tax-exempt status. So there's been a lot that's been waiting for this decision. And so we're going to talk about the implications. What are we as Christ followers to do? Um, Because if you keep up with culture, uh, years ago, some of you may remember a movement called the Moral Majority. How many of you remember that? All right. Some remember it with good memories. Others who were on the other side of the spectrum uh, remember that in a negative sense. But here, here's the fact of the matter. Studies are showing us that the evangelical Christian influence in society is growing smaller and smaller and smaller. Years ago, even in a national elections, there were politicians who had to consider the quote-unquote Christian vote. That no longer appears to really be an issue. So what we're going to talk about next week is with the increasing, I guess we could say the diminishing influence of Christians in American culture, how are we to prepare ourselves and our families to live when, get this, evangelical Christianity, unless God sovereignly chooses to turn it around, in not too many years, we will be a minority. And if you follow the court system at all, there's already a lot in the pipe that would love to shut down our message. All right? So here's the thing. If you struggle with same-sex attraction, if you call yourself uh, bisexual, um, homosexual, whatever it is, we are glad that you are in Rocky Mount Baptist Church. And you can say amen there. We are glad that you're here. We want to receive you with open arms And tell you that Jesus Christ is able to save all who would come to him. And we're going to look at what the scripture says about that. One more note before we jump in. Um, As long as I'm your pastor, um, we will not change the message of Jesus Christ for anybody. And that... um, And, and by that, we mean if the courts, um, if we're threatened with tax exempt, uh, with that's taken away because we won't um, follow through with marrying people who are the same gender because we believe that God has so much more um, and that's not God's design. If that comes down um, the pipe, and we'll talk about this a lot more next week, but it's really an effort to shut down churches. In other words, shut down for those of you that like freedom of speech. It's a concentrated effort to shut down opposing voices um, but whether we whether we meet in the woods or whether we meet here or whatever whatever it is we believe that jesus christ is still on the throne and i love what russell moore said he said that the supreme court can't put jesus back in the grave uh, nobody can and so we believe that jesus is alive um, we believe that Jesus knows more, and this may be mind-blowing for some of us who are of the younger generation, and we know everything because we know how to get to Google. Right? Isn't that amazing, right? Like, it seems like the younger generation, even the military is saying, we're producing people who seem to know more, but they're making not good soldiers because they want to question everything. Long, interesting discussion there. But here's, here's an interesting thought, and we want to let this thought germinate and soak the next couple of weeks. Could, could it be... That if God exists, and so much of this issue goes back to the existence of God, could it be that if God exists, he knows more about sexuality than we do? 
Just a thought. And I'm not, it's not a come on. It's not sarcastic. But what I want to put, especially for those of us who may be Gen Xers or the millennial generation, I want you to just think and try to remove yourself from the, the social historical situation that we're living in now. Because many of us, we can look, I mean, 150 years ago in the U.S. and say, how could you guys go to church every Sunday and have your Bible, but yet see no problem with owning other people as human property, human chattel? Coming to church, singing hymns, no problem at all. We were like, dude, that's crazy. I mean, the principle of the New Testament is freedom. Why couldn't you make those two go together? And I really believe that if the Lord tarries, if he allows civilization to continue, that many People of my generation and younger will look back saying, you know what? We did the same thing. We just believed what we heard instead of thinking about it rationally, historically, and most importantly, track with me, most importantly, biblically. And uh, so we're going to get into a lot of stuff. So I would just encourage you, uh, whether you're here uh, or whether you're listening on radio podcasts, stick with us, okay? Because we're about to open up a can of worms that a lot of people say you should never open in church. Church should not be a place to recome and we talk different, act different, because... We believe that God's word speaks to every area of our life. Can we just be honest, okay? So if you if you come to Rocky Mount Baptist Church, we want to preach and teach the word of God as he's given it to us. All right? So we ready? Okay. Here we go. Philippians chapter 3 and beginning in verse number 17. Philippians 3, 17. And the apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these words. Brothers... Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears. Walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame. With minds set on earthly things. But... Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. So here's the Apostle Paul writing to Christians to be strong in the faith, and notice his emotive response to those who don't follow Christ. In verse 18, he says, And many of whom I have often told you and now tell you with what? With tears. The Apostle Paul is so broken over human brokenness and human sin. He says, I tell you with tears that they walk as enemies of Christ. He's saying, look, the people that oppose Christ, the people who oppose us, I am broken over them because they're not my enemies. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 that we do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principality, against spiritual powers of wickedness in high places. And he says that their end, verse 19, anyone who does not kneel the knee to Christ, he says their God is their belly. Here's what that means. It means they do whatever feels good. How do they roll in their life? They just go with the glands. No matter whether it's parting, whether it's heterosexual sex outside of marriage, whether it's getting drunk, whether it's getting high, whether it's living in pride. Say, I don't want to forgive that person. 
homosexual acts, the whole gamut, he says that their end is destruction because their mind is set on earthly shame and they glory in their shame. But then he says, believers, that's not us. Because even if God chooses to continue to judge the United States, and I want to make a point here, people say, will God judge the United States? Are you kidding me? Really? Like, are we, are we so, are we so deaf? And I fully support the Second Amendment. Are we so crazy to think that God's judgment in some small amount at least has not been already unleashed? That many people today are having to carry a gun because they don't know if they're at Chick-fil-A or a mall, somebody's going to open fire and try to kill a bunch of people? Really? You see, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 1 that God gives people over to a debased mind. And I believe that we're seeing in part God giving us over to ourselves. Because in a democratic republic, the only people that we can blame is who? Ourselves. Now already addressing these issues, there's several stereotypes. And if you don't, if you're not, if you're not a follower of Christ or if you have questions about biblical sexuality, a lot of times you think that whenever this issue is addressed in church, there's going to be the pastor, the preacher is like Mr. Wilson on Dennis the Menace, but just a preacher. Angry, hate filled, all you hear is I'm better than you and get off my lawn. Then other people say, well, we don't, we don't want to be that guy. We don't want to drive people away. We don't want to preach the truth in anger. So what we need to do is be a cowardly compromiser. And many of churches have embraced what the Bible says is wrong. And what happens is we embrace people who are struggling and looking for a savior. And we say, well, there's no reason for you to be delivered from that because there's nothing wrong with it. So not only are people left without moral guidance, they're left without the need for a savior. And then we have very some well-meaning, confused Christians who say things um, like, well, shouldn't we just unite around what unites us instead of what divides us? Without thinking that the gospel itself is divisive. You realize how offensive the gospel is, regardless if you're homosexual, heterosexual, bisexual, whatever it may be. <laughs> the Bible says that you and I are so jacked up that not in a million years we'd able, ever be good enough to get God's approval. So he says, you know what? You, you did good at grades. All right. Okay, fine. Never be good enough. You've been faithful to your spouse for years. Okay, fine. Never be good enough because only Christ is perfect. The gospel is offensive. Then other well-meaning Christians hear things and repeat them such as, well, we should simply just be tolerant, Jeff. Let's understand that tolerance is a willingness to have a rational discussion without resorting to us trying to punish people physically or economically, Right? Tolerance does not mean that you have to agree in order to be tolerant. The tolerance that we're often shown today is a tolerance that's little more than forced coercion. It says, unless you agree with what I say and what I do, then you're intolerant. You see, forced coercion, that's called communism. That's not freedom. It's not tolerance. It's simply Tyranny, but on an individual cultural level. So we shouldn't respond as the Mr. Wilson. We shouldn't respond as cowards who don't redress controversial issues. We shouldn't respond ignorantly. We should respond with the courage of Jesus Christ and the compassion that he has for people. And we know that society, man, it changes. Doesn't it change all the time? I mean, some people, you know, years ago you were in style in the 80s and now 
Well, you may still be in style. I don't know. But styles change and fashions change and morals change. But the word of God stays the same because you see God doesn't change. So if we're going to be on the right side of history, you and I as followers of Christ need to make sure that we're on the right side of God. And I've heard Christians say that, say, well, the church, Jeff, just needs to be on the right side of history. I don't think it's possible to be on the right side of history when we um, don't take God and his word serious. Al Mohler says, we must not be silent where the Bible speaks. Love requires us to tell the truth. And some will say, well, Jeff, why does it seem like the evangelical church focuses on homosexuality? We don't just focus on homosexuality, but let me just say that is the one, that is the one issue that's being forced on our culture like nothing else. And so if it is, then we address it. And the reason why things are the way they are, and this is our driving thought for today's message, is that the colder Christians grow, the more that sin grows. The colder we grow, the more sin goes. And the more that it grows. And if we pay attention to culture, this decision of the Supreme Court and really the trajectory of our nation didn't happen in a vacuum. It wasn't just like all of a sudden this happened. Um, here's a few examples. Um, cohabitation, even among people who call themselves Christians. They're not married, but they live together. They have sex as often and like married people living in what the Bible calls fornication. It's normal. And if you call it out with your friends, not that you, you know, put something on Facebook, but in love you address that, you're often called a bigot, you're often, often said that you're judging people. Even among professing Christians, we just throw the Bible out and say, well, it's normal. Well, it may be normal, but it doesn't mean that it's righteous and that it's right. Um, over 40% of U.S. births are to unwed mothers. This blew me away. Excellent writer, a cultural scholar, Karen Swallow Pryor, she says that the abortion rate, check this out, among Protestant women is slightly higher than the overall rate. Between 40 and 50% of married people in the U.S. usually get divorced, even in, in the church. About two-thirds, guys, of men view pornography at least monthly. And this is a mind-blowing figure. The figures for Christian men don't vary significantly from the general population. So what we're seeing in the church is that we're slowly but surely uh, closing the word of God. And our hearts are growing cold not only to God, but to people. And we wonder why the world is the way that it is. Us men were looking at the computer screen instead of praying for the nations. So the whole issue with the, with the same sex marriage, that's not, it didn't just happen, but it's simply the bottom point of a long cultural decline, especially among Christians. So let's get to the issue of homosexuality. What does the Bible actually teach? And in order to understand what does the Bible actually teach about homosexuality, we're going to have to see what the Bible teaches about sexuality. And here's a statement by C.S. Lewis. He says, and there must be something good first before it can be spoiled. We called sadism a sexual perversion, but you must first have the idea of a normal sexuality before you can talk of its being perverted. And you can see which is the perversion because you can explain the perversion from the normal. But you cannot explain the normal from the perverted. 
So often Christians will begin to address homosexuality without taking a step back and say, how did God design humanity to function? Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, the Bible says, And God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Here it is, male and female, he created them. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So from the beginning, God sovereignly, because he's God created, man and woman to function together within the bonds of a committed relationship, which we today call marriage. And we see this carried over through the New Testament. For those of you who read your Bibles carefully, Ephesians chapter 5, the Bible says that husbands are to love our wives, help me out guys, as Christ loved the church. So the picture, this is so crazy, the picture of salvation, the picture of a biblical marriage is mirrored by God's love for us through Jesus. It means that we as men should love our families and our wives as Christ loved us. And then in Revelation chapter 19, we see Jesus, the picture is when he comes back, he's coming to receive his bride called the church. So from Genesis to Revelation, we see that God established man and woman for one another, man and woman for each other, for life. So anything outside of that, whether it's homosexuality, bestiality, bisexuality, those of you who say, Jeff, I'm straight, but if there is a woman that I can get in bed, I will do it. It covers all of that. All of that, according to the Bible, is deviant sexuality. So then the issue is homosexuality actually a sin. Now, for our conservative culture warriors, I want you to listen very, very closely because usually we lose the battle on this point. Is homosexuality a sin? There's nowhere in scripture, I may get emails about this, to where temptation is a sin. Let me say that again. Nowhere in scripture does it say that we are held morally accountable and judged by being tempted. But when we give in to temptation and do what God says is prohibited, that's a sin. You say, Jeff, what does the Bible has to say? What does the Bible have to say about temptation? Write down a reference and it's actually in your worship guide. First Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13. It says that no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. Whenever sin entered into the world, mankind started to be tempted to pervert God's original design. Men were tempted and gave in to use women in an unhealthy, ungodly way, to use them in order to gain pleasure. You could go on and on and on about how we've given in to temptation as humanity. But remember, when you're talking to someone, if you're here, to be, to be tempted doesn't mean that you sin because the Bible tells us that Jesus was tempted, but yet he was without sin. So there's a very important distinction between being tempted, whether it's heterosexual sin or homosexual acts, there's a distinction between temptation and acting. 
The difference between homosexual temptation and homosexual acts is very, very stark. You say, Jeff, can a person be a homosexual and a Christian? You can be tempted to do anything that God says is wrong, including be guilty, go down the whole nine yards. But you cannot live in sin and be a follower of Jesus just like you cannot consistently be greedy with your finances and call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ. You cannot consistently live in lies. You cannot consistently steal. You cannot consistently blaspheme God. You cannot consistently without, um, I guess we could say conviction, be involved in pornography. You cannot consistently be involved in heterosexual sin. You cannot consistently without conviction of sin be wrathful and angry and violent with your family, guys, and call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ. But you can be tempted all day long. And guess what? The fact that we're tempted shows that we're alive. Praise God. Because if we're not tempted, it means that we live in it. We wallow in it. That's who we are. But praise God for the struggle that begins when Jesus enters the picture. Genesis 19, homosexuality is obviously described as, uh, or those homosexual acts, as sin with Sodom and Gomorrah. Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22. The Bible says, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Leviticus 20.13, if a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. Romans chapter 1 and verses 26 and 27, the Bible says, For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. It's referring to lesbianism here. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, the Bible says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then the response often is, well, Jeff, Jesus never spoke about homosexuality. Logically, this is an argument from silence. The same argument would be, well, Jeff, Jesus never spoke about bestiality. It's uncomfortable, but we're here at church, we're going to be honest. But that doesn't mean that Jesus is for it. You see, Jesus was speaking to Jews who believed the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. So when Jesus referenced sexual immorality, when he referenced the prophets, when he referenced the law, he was giving his okay that that is a revelation from God and it is authoritative. Then some people say, well, Jeff, Christians are not actually consistent in their interpretation of the Old Testament. Make a note, and this is in your notes, uh, or, or highlight it, Acts chapter 15. Interesting story. You have these early Jewish believers that were coming to faith in Jesus. And then the gospel began to go out to Gentiles. They came from very, very, very different backgrounds. And the the, the issue was, are we going to... Uh, require these Gentiles to live as Jews, according to the Old Testament. But Acts 15, 29, it says these, this is the essentials of Christian morality. It says these Gentiles should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immoralities. 
more immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. So in the New Testament, the Old Testament picture of morality is confirmed as well. And the New Testament doesn't change the picture of sexuality. As Tim Keller says, the coming of Christ changed how we worship, but not how we live. The New Testament says we no longer need to make animal sacrifices for sin because Jesus has come. Does that make sense? He's come. He is the sacrifice for sin. Therefore, the Old Testament dietary law and the sacrificial law has been fulfilled in Jesus. But nowhere in the New Testament are we told to throw out the moral code of the Old Testament. And then the big issue. Are persons born as homosexuals? It's very important for all of us to understand that just because we have a proclivity or a tendency towards certain acts does not mean we have to always do them. Praise God. There are some people... Well, there's a strong, there's a strong line of alcoholism in both my mom's family and my dad's family a couple of generations back. And growing up, I, I, I mean, y'all know me with Krispy Kreme donuts. Self-control is not the strongest thing I have. So one of the things that I do to safeguard myself from what has been a stumbling point for my generations is that, and I'm not judging you if you do, but I don't drink. If I did, I very well believe I could become an outraging alcoholic. I mean, I'd be stumbling around the stage on Sunday morning. I've been in people's houses in Rocky Mount, and they have some of Grandpa's cough medicine. Say, Jeff, you want some some real Mountain Dew? And I'm like, I appreciate that. I really do. But I may like it. Just because you have a proclivity... Men and women towards being angry. You're like, I, my brother, my sister, it seems like they're so laid back, but I just have a problem. It's just like my fuse is so short. Just because you have a tendency, a proclivity towards that behavior doesn't mean you have to be defined by it. There are some people, and they may be born with a greater weakness towards one specific sin, but through the power of the gospel, whether it's anger, whether it's sleeping around with people the opposite gender, whether it's homosexual tendencies, the power of the gospel says that you don't have to be what your desires say you need to do. And that's freedom. But see, the other side says if you have proclivities, if you have tendencies towards homosexuality, then the logic of determinism, and this is a very philosophical discussion, if there is no God, if there is no soul, then there cannot be choice. There can't be. You are what your molecules are. You are genetically predisposed. You're going to do what you're going to do because you are a biological machine. But if God exists, and if scripture is true, and we've been given a soul, we've been given a conscience, it means that through the power of God, we can change. And if determinism is true, it means that no one's really responsible for the actions. Go with me on this. Men who like little boys. If you have a proclivity towards that, if you have a tendency towards that, if the other side is correct in their reasoning, then you're just, you know what? There's no moral reason why I should say that you're wrong. There's a societal reason because it messes things up, but I can't actually say that you're wrong for being attracted to boys. It's simply what you are. But the gospel tells us that we were all born with fallen desires, but Jesus Christ can change that. There's also been research done on, for those of you who are scientifically minded, 
on epigenetics. There's an article um, by John Cloud on epigenetics, DNA, how you can change your genes and destiny. And what we're finding out is with epigenetics that your DNA, and this is from the article, your DNA, this is awesome, can be altered depending on your actions. Actions can cultivate a gene that has proclivity towards something. It means that every time we give in to sinful desires, no matter what they are, we begin to develop what we were told as kids, a habit. And the more we allow that habit to go unchecked, the more that habit turns into an addiction. And the more the addiction goes unchecked, the addiction begins to change over the life. But this is not even a biblical point. This is a scientific point saying that our behavior can change our DNA in reference to being uh, having tendency towards certain actions. And we know as followers of Jesus Christ that Jesus changes the heart, then the behavior changes. William Lane Craig says the important thing is not how you got your orientation, but what you do with it. You see, the other side, the sexual revolution that says you need to do whatever you want and whatever you think you are, you need to get fulfillment. That's slavery because the sexual revolution says just give in to your desires. And haven't we had enough of that in our culture from heterosexual people? I mean, to where young people are wasting the best years, the most productive, the most healthy years of their lives, clubbing from bar to bar, just seeing what they can get. The sexual revolution says that happiness is found by giving in to your lower desires. But the truth of the Bible and common experience is that death is found by pursuing our lower desires. James chapter 1 and verses 14 and 15 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. But here it is for all of us, all of us. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. You see, freedom is not as the sexual revolutionaries have told us. It is not by allowing our desires to go and be fulfilled because they can't be fulfilled outside of Jesus and without the bonds of monogamous heterosexual marriage because God designed it that way. It's like the train saying, I want to find freedom, but get me off the tracks. And some have asked, is homosexuality worse than other sins? Please hear me carefully, conservative culture warriors. We can all agree If the Bible is true, all sins are rebellion against God. All sins are immoral. Yet there are certain sins, please hear me, that are more destructive, okay? More destructive to the human person than other sins. John Piper recently said this, What's new is not even the celebration and the approval of homosexual sin. Homosexual behavior has been exploited, reveled in, celebrated in art for millennia, especially if you know uh, Roman history. What's new is the normalization and the institutionalization. This is the new calamity. The difference is, followers of Christ, we weep over our sins. 
We don't celebrate them. We don't institutionalize them. We turn to Jesus for forgiveness and help. You see, homosexuality, homosexual, the homosexual lifestyle, the average age for men is 43. If they have AIDS, it's 39. I was reading an academic treatment of the subject this past week, and it went down all of the lists for this unnamed addiction. How it kills people. Come to find out it was alcoholism. And then it compared for men the homosexual lifestyle, and it was absolutely staggering. Over 3,000%. This is one of the reasons why we have children's church. Over 3,000% more likely to develop rectal cancer. I didn't know this till this past week, but the amount of psychological damage that is incurred by men who are as a part of that lifestyle is astronomically higher than every other segment of the population. For many men especially, um, there has been a past of either sexual abuse or a distant father. Many ladies who are involved in the homosexual lesbian lifestyle have had either violent uh, father, male figures, or they've been absent altogether. So there's either many cases, not all, many cases, there's been an absent or an abusive father. All sins are rebellion against God, but there are some that produce far more destruction in the body than others. And I've heard some Christians say this, and it breaks my heart. They say, as long as they're not bothering me, it's not my problem. I don't have a problem with people doing what they're going to do. Listen, we're going to talk about this next week. If you think that's the issue, you have totally and completely misread the situation. The end game was never the freedom of two adults to engage in whatever they want to in a hotel room. The end end game for those who are activists have always been to shut down the opposition. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, how can we say if they don't bother me, it's not my problem? To know what happens in the body, the breakdown of the immune system, especially for males, the lifestyle that limits the life expectancy, how how, how can we say that unconcerned? And even more so, even if we had studies that say there's absolutely no problem with it, it's even healthy, we know what's going to happen. The Apostle Paul says their end is destruction, all who don't repent. How How have we developed such a calloused heart in the church of Jesus Christ that we can think to articulate things such as, well, as long as they're not bothering me, it's not my problem. May God have mercy on us. What is wrong with us? I I hear it. I I see it on Facebook, in personal conversations, and I say, God have mercy upon American Christians. And maybe we need to change the song from God bless America to God have mercy on the U.S. A follower of Christ who's been changed and who's walking with God, we no longer say, if it doesn't bother me, it's not my problem. But we are constrained to, by the love of Christ to show the love of Jesus to those who are in the homosexual community to say, come to church with me. Come hear about Jesus. Let's go out to lunch. Beautiful verse. Write this down. This is probably the premier outside of Philippians 3, um, the premier text that we should remember in regards to the homosexual lifestyle. First Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Bible says, and it starts off hardcore. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. 
Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That means that if any of that applies, then you're going to hell. Welcome to church. But verse 11 breaks open the grace of God. And such were some of you. Time out. Say, Jeff, are you telling me if I would have gone to the first century church in Corinth, the, I guess we could say the New Orleans of that area of the world to where debauchery was in style? I mean, if people were going to Corinth, it was almost like they're going to Vegas and New Orleans combined. Are you telling me that you would have gone into a church in the first century and there would have been former homosexuals, former thieves, former idolaters, former people who have slept around with all sorts of the opposite gender, absolutely. And any group who doesn't have that is not the church of Jesus Christ. Because if you don't see yourself as a sinner who's been saved by grace, you're not saved. Heterosexual, wearing an American flag, American by birth, Southern by the grace of God, all that nonsense. You're just as much on your way to hell as someone who doesn't even claim to know Jesus Christ. You have to see yourself, and as such were some of you, and this is awesome, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. It means that if we would have walked into that early first century church, we would have seen people who were from horrifically dark backgrounds. He says, but as such were some of you. So when you see people living in a lifestyle that ends in destruction, don't say those whatever. But remember that if it was not for Jesus Christ, we would still be walking in darkness. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, that we are the salt of the earth. And the great commission that Jesus gave us to make disciples of all nations, do you realize that that also applies to the lesbian gay, bisexual, transgender community? Do we realize that in this faith family that God wants us to lead people who call themselves homosexual, bisexual, transgender, do we realize that He wants to lead them to faith in Jesus Christ? And only the power of Jesus can take a man who is outwardly effeminate, effeminate, acting, a man wears Carhartt jackets, camo work boots and put them in a group together and they can both say I've been saved by Jesus Christ and I'm trying to walk with him every single day only the power of the gospel can do that so in order for us to approach what's coming down the pipe in order for us to change the way we've approached it in the past there's several logs that have been in the eyes of American Christians and American churches number one In many cases in the past, we have turned church into a country club to where we've been about musical tradition, fancy dress, and we have not had a determined outlook to reach out to our community no matter what their sexual orientation is or their socioeconomic status. But praise God what He's done in Rocky Mountain Baptist Church. Many churches across the U.S., it is a Christian prom. And they don't give a rip as long as they like the songs, as long as it's cool in the summer, as long as it's warm in the winter, they couldn't give a rip if people go to hell. But if you've been saved, we've got to do everything we can 
to reach out to our community. Secondly, in the past, many Christians and many churches have lashed out at the homosexual community. We have lashed out in a blind world that's stumbling in the darkness. I mean, if we believe the biblical picture, are we surprised when lost people act lost? I mean, really? If the Bible tells us that outside of Christ, heterosexual or homosexual, we're blind to the revelation of God. We are blind to what is right and wrong, but yet we've lashed out at them saying, I can't believe that you did that. And at the same time, many of us in the church have minimalized our own sins. We have minimalized the the impact of of gluttony in the church. We have minimalized the impact of divorce in the church. Many churches are known for being gossip centers. May God have mercy on the American church. Number three and finally, there's a log in the, I think, the eyes of many American Christians where we are arrogant. We're concerned about what people think about us and we take the coward option. See, I'm just going to close the Bible and I just want to make people happy. If you have friends If you have family members that are struggling with this lifestyle, we'll get into how we handle that next week. But shouldn't it be that we, like the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3, we address this issue with tears and brokenness. They are people. They are people. If they're cut, they bleed. If they go without food and water, they die. May God change our hearts hearts to where we are no longer just repulsed by certain actions, but we say, you know what, how offensive was my sin before God? How long did God have to put up with me before he changed my heart, before I responded to him? And allow the magnitude of our sin, okay? This is not a traditional message on homosexuality that you'd hear in a conservative church. But the brokenness and the magnitude of our sin lead us to be radical, in reaching people for Jesus Christ, no matter their background. And for those of you who have friends, family members, uh, or if you're here and you struggle with those issues, or you identify um, with the, the homosexual community, I encourage you to come back next week, and we're going to get into a lot more practical ways of how we can address this. But as far as the invitation, the sharp point of the stick today, I think that we would all, as American Christians, if you're saved here, get really real about our sin and stop putting up a front. Okay? Start praying. Start telling people about Jesus Christ. If there's issues between you and your wife, you and your husband, start working on those issues. Glorify God through your repentance. Let's get real about our stuff, okay, before we start lashing out at other people.